0: Thank you it's beautiful. Um, I, I, again, I really appreciate being able to share with you some things by uh, even though I'm retired, my mind is still functioning uh, and, and I really realize I, I really do in, enjoy engaging with, with people and I'd love to sit down and find out where every one of you are at this morning, what you're thinking about. so I'm going to start with you know, <laughs> But I, I do want to, I hope it does connect. And uh, because I only get a chance to, to speak on occasion now, I will be speaking for about four and a half hours uh, because i you know, since I last spoke, which was last summer, and I've been working up, so I've got a lot of stuff. So hope that's okay. No, it won't be quite that long. Um, an evangelical preacher, I don't like the word preacher myself. When people call me that, I think, mm. anyway, an evangelical preacher arrived in a small town to be the guest speaker of a local church that evening, and uh, he arrived in town and wanted to mail a letter back home to his family. On foot, he stopped a young man. It's a small town. On foot, he was trying to find the post office, and he stopped a young man on a bicycle and asked him where the post office was. The boy gave him directions, And the minister thanked him and added, Now, if you come to church this evening, I'll tell you how to get to heaven. I don't think so, said the young man. You don't even know your way to the post office. (laughs) Does anyone know where it is? After all, ever since we discovered that the world is round, rotates around the sun, and we've actually known that for some time. It's taken a little bit more to absolutely prove it. What we've, we've never really been sure exactly where it is. It can't be, you know, up there anymore. That doesn't work. Images of heaven have been around ever since the beginning of recorded time by all cultures and in all religions. It has always been, then, shall I say, an eternal question. I just heard Robert Redford on the Today Show just a couple days ago talking about his new movie that's coming out this weekend, but I think it's coming out on Netflix, I don't know how to do Netflix, and I don't know if it's in the theater, but anyway, it's a new movie, and it's entitled The Discovery. Has anyone heard of this yet? Okay, no one else has Netflix. Anyway, it's coming out this weekend. He's publicizing it on the Today Show uh, on this past Friday. And the byline of this movie by Robert Redford is a love story set one year after the existence of the afterlife is scientifically verified. That's the theme of the movie. Uh, and then they showed, they showed a little clip where someone's all hooked up to wires and everything, and I guess it's going to prove that there's something going on uh, after life. Uh, and, and, but then it becomes problematic. People want to get there sooner than they should get there. So I haven't seen it, but I would hope to see it at some point. But you think about it, that could be problematic. Uh, and maybe, just maybe, there is a reason that it remains a pretty big mystery. Maybe there's a reason. Matt Lauer of the Today Show asked Robert Redford what he personally believed, and he said, "You know, we just don't know." And uh, and and then he said, "But but who does know?" And that's exactly who does know. Robert Redford said in the movie that it is a new plane of existence. I remember the physicist from University of Chicago, who was one of the substantial leaders in the Big Bang Theory, uh, David Schramm, uh, whose memorial service was here and uh, is buried at Red Butte here. But he would talk about multidimensionality as a physicist, about the possibility of multidimensionality. For me, science and religion have to go hand in hand. My Mia Easter message here, exactly 20 years ago, included a quote from the cover article in Time Magazine Does heaven exist or is paradise lost? The article provided a lot of different points of view. And personally, I think we think about it far more than we think we think about it. The article quoted a great philosopher named C.S. Lewis, who said, and bear with me on this one sentence, Heaven is the secret we cannot hide and cannot tell, though we desire to do both. We cannot tell it because it is a desire for something that's never really actually appeared in our existence or experience. We cannot hide it because our experience is constantly suggesting it. I think we are thinking about it. In the year 2012, in the Sunday after Easter, I spoke about another cover story from Time magazine entitled, Rethinking Heaven by John Meekham, a Pulitzer Prize winner. The subtitle was, Heaven Can't Wait, Why Rethinking the Hereafter Could Make the World a Better Place. In other words, how we still think of heaven still has implications to how we live our lives today. Consider how the authors of the New Testament were actually talking about an earthly resurrection in which God's people bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. It's actually about understanding the heaven which demands stewardship now and and how this will resonate more with younger people. Makem confesses, I'm a Christian, a poor one to be sure, who keeps the feast and says his prayers. For me, the scholarly re- redefinition of heaven as a manifestation of God's love on earth has been illuminating, for it at once puts believers in closer proximity to the intent of the authors of the New Testament and should inspire the religious to open their arms more to one another, more so than they so often are pointing their fingers at one another. It is not a paradise in the sky, but acts of selflessness and love that brings God's sacred space and grace to a broken world suffused with tragedy until, in broader terms, the unknown hour when the world we struggle to piece together is made whole again. Mecham concludes, such is the work of religion, bringing reality closer to conformity with, he uses this term, theocentric or God-centered aspirations in a world in which loving one another as we would be loved is a sacred act and a way of expanding the dominion of God or heaven in the world. A couple weeks ago, Nicholas said here, Heaven is the world clearly seen. I like that. I don't take a lot of notes, but I wrote it down in the bulletin. I corrected the grammar a little bit. (laughs) He's from England. What does he know? I like that perspective. Heaven is the world seen clearly. Spirituality is living our lives in such a way as to see ourselves more clearly. The world around us more clearly. Others more clearly and dearly. I'm going to give a number of definitions of extreme spirituality, uh, which I've just created in my own mind and made up and want to share them with you. Uh, And actually, this is what term that I came up with 20 years ago on on Easter, and I'll say a little bit more about that. But just recently, I googled uh, extreme spirituality and there's a whole bunch of stuff already there. I, you know, I thought well, once I could create something, but and and uh, my good friend uh, Rudy and Karen who are here, they reminded me this week that uh, extreme. This is not radical fundamentalism. It's not that kind of extreme. It's just trying to live out our spirituality in a very real way. That's what I mean by it. But here's, I, I got up and as I often do, almost every night, in the middle of the night, had a had a definition uh, came into my mind. Extreme spirituality is to live in a still point of peace within an ever-turning, changing, challenging world. That still point, ever-still point, like the middle of a storm sometimes. Extreme spirituality is to fully realize that we are part of a greater whole and are responsible to that greater whole. And it can mean a lot of things. It's about being fulfilled in many ways. Extreme spirituality can also simply mean that great text in our Judeo-Christian scriptures to simply love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Extreme skiing is going for big air and big tricks, but extreme spirituality is also to appreciate the very little things in life. It's to live in the present. Be grateful for whatever is before us. It's like that Shaker song that we all know, Simple Gifts. It's a gift to be simple. It's a gift to be free. It's a gift to come down where you ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, we will be in the valley of love and delight. Extreme spirituality is to come to a certain acceptance, with ourselves and our finiteness, knowing that one way or another, we are going to be okay. My big brother Tom was a wonderful example of this. He's always had a positive outlook on life, and that continued throughout his illness of leukemia, he passed away a year and a half ago. He said he had no regrets, had a wonderful life and family, children, grandchildren. Traveled, successful business. Then after a pause, he said toward the end of his life, but that's the problem. Life has been good. I don't want to go. I responded by saying, well, it's better to know this than to think of having a not so good life. He was a great person, husband, father, grandfather, and and big brother. And I'll keep that memory alive. That's part of it. And learn from that. At a recent memorial service of another long, long long-term friend here, Don Sheely, uh, which was held at the Hotel Jerome with a lot of people, his sister Bev, right after the service, sent me a very nice reading about acceptance of the limits of our lives. It's entitled "The Train." I'd like to read it to you this morning. Hopefully, you'll find it meaningful. Life is like a train. At birth, we board. We board the train and met our parents, and we believe they will always travel at our side. However, at some station, our parents will step down from the train, leaving us on this journey alone. As time goes by, other people will board the train, and they will be significant, our siblings, friends, even the love of our life, children. Many will step down and leave a permanent vacuum. Others will go so unnoticed that we didn't realize, but their seats are vacant. The train ride will be full of joy, sorrow, fantasy, expectations, hellos, goodbyes, and farewells. Success consists of having a good relationship with all passengers, requiring that we give the best of our true selves. The mystery to everyone is we do not know at which station we ourselves will step down, so we must live In the best way, love, forgive, offer the best of who we are at all times. It's important to do this because when the time comes for us to step down and leave our seat empty, we should leave behind beautiful memories for those who will continue to travel on the train of life. So I wish you a joyful journey on the train of life, reap success, and give lots of love. Most importantly, Thank God for the journey. Richard Rohr has included a statement of perennial wisdom, if any of you have heard of that a perennial tradition, which is really the essence of kind of a spiritual teaching throughout all the religions in all the world. And he has a, in his website he has a brief a, sim, a, a simplified one, but poignant and precise. I'd call it an essence of extreme spirituality one, There is a divine reality underneath and inherent in the world of all things. Two, there is in the human soul a natural capacity, similarity, and longing for this divine reality. And three, the final goal of existence is union with this divine reality. However you might see the word divine reality, I like the word divine, it's a little broader than the the word God. Jesus is a model of divine reality, and I would add extreme spirituality. We do not need to be perfect like Jesus is perceived, but we can still try to come a little closer. After all, Jesus said that we can be capable of following him and even doing greater things. Our caring intentions count, knowing that sometimes we succeed, sometimes we fail, but realizing God's great grace is part of extreme spirituality. Now, I used the term extreme spirituality exactly 20 years ago for the Easter service on the mountain. My purpose was to say that athletes engage in extreme sports, not because they want to tempt death, but to defy death and to live life to the fullest. And so, Matt, if we can uh, start cueing that now. And so, too, extreme spirituality is to live life to the fullest through love compassion, contentment, and yes, even to defy death. I'd also add that extreme spirituality is a lot safer than extreme sports. You'll see this right now as we observe athletes and daredevil stunts. We often think that they may have a death wish or at least a bit crazy. But when one interviews such unique people, it is really the opposite. They really want to defy death, to live life through any close call and to feel I'm just a rider like you. I love every aspect of riding my bike, from the freedom to the rush of twisting the throttle. that i want to thank uh, willie and bob for being the ones in that uh, video there <laughs> bob was on the bike willie was the one skiing thank you very much appreciate that many of us do want feelings and experiences when maybe a little on a safer mode when we're riding a roller coaster right tom uh that's his desire is to ride all the roller coasters um Maybe other amusement park rides and push the extremes, but are supposed to be safe. I don't know how many, is, how many have bungee jumped. Oh my word! <laughs> Come up here. You need to be talking up here, right? <laughs> Furthermore, we're not actually—if we're not actually doing something daring, we watch it, like a like this or a tightrope walker, trapeze artist, the X Games. Isn't X Games here meant to mean extreme? Isn't that, I think that's what it might mean. Uh, have you ever seen the uh, TV station outside? Uh, ironically, we see it more in Virginia than we do here, even though it kind of originates out of Aspen. Um, the skiing is a long like this show. The skiing is a long way from the Warren Miller pictures. It's a it's an extreme skiing. It is unbelievable, but these men and women are doing things not conceived possible before. We would also consider how many books we read or movies we watch that display death-defying acts. We watch Superman, James Bond, Indiana Jones, Luke Skywalker, and hundreds of other heroes come close to death, usually at the fate of a bad guy, and then almost miraculously survive impossible predicaments and come out victorious. We like to watch that. Good guys win over bad guys, and that's good. And then they usually get the girl in the last scene as well, but then that's another sermon. I then said that this has been part of the Easter message. It's a story about life over death. I suspect that is why Jesus' story has remained so popular. We might consider Jesus to be a pretty extreme kind of guy. Talk about death defined. Extreme spirituality is to be proactive with our faith and practice and see all of life as a gift and sacred and have at every day reverence for life and our neighbor as ourself. Well, this was part of my message 20 years ago, and I thought I would share part of it with you, again, as Easter is only two weeks away. I then had a pretty good conclusion. If some of you might not have been here 20 years ago on top of the Aspen Mountain, I was talking about the same theme, and I asked then people to look up. This is, on, this is looking up. We're on top of Aspen Mountain on this beautiful Easter morning, 20 exactly 20 years ago. I said, look up. We had it timed. My brother had a walkie talkie. Plane came over about four or five thousand feet over the top of Aspen Mountain. And uh, we had time. So Joel Zane, a skydiver, jumped out of the plane right over us, free fell for about 20 seconds or so, opened up his parasail, and landed right in front of the crowd. And then I, he pulled right up to me, and I asked him, why do you do this? And, of course, we interviewed him a little bit. He said, for the feelings of freedom and living life fully and to know that we are very present, and besides the great thrill. Um, that was a good movement. As I mentioned, the story of Jesus' res- resurrection probably kept the message of Jesus alive, so to speak. And I believe that the purpose of the story that could be a purpose of the story. There are many interpretations, but I do want to say, whatever your interpretation might be as we are approaching this Easter time, uh, we're into Lent this, I mean, the, and the given universal uh, scripture text around 70, 80% of the church's day happens to be the story of the raising of Lazarus, if you've uh, remembered that. But these are stories, many different interpretations. Personally, I do not believe, because I think science and religion have to connect. I don't believe we have to believe in a literal physical resurrection, to still believe in some sense of resurrection, or life goes on. We really do not know, but I just like to think that there are many more signs of something going on in some way or another. I think nature gives us a great hint. The Apostle Paul in Corinthians says, When you what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. If there is a physical body, there is a spiritual body. When a seed <laughs> And then this is the the analogy that other other people have taken. When a seed is buried in the ground, it does not know what it's going to become in the spring. But regeneration is part of nature and the universe. We may very well be like the wave on an ocean and simply return to the ocean when the wave expires, as Ellen was singing about. The Bible states, from dust we are born into dust we shall return. But if we apply a little science to this, we really are. Stardust and made up of the same ingredients and protons and neutrons and electrons as in the universe and in the stars. Who knows where evolution shall go? I'd like to close with this reading that I've done at many memorial services. Perhaps some of you have heard it. I have no idea where it came from. Author unknown. I can't even Google this one. It's in the first person. And I think it expresses to me this, this mingling of, of uh, hope, a of mingling of science, science, earth, dust to dust, and something that continues on in a realistic way. It's again in the first person. Remember with me near the end, if it is possible that something of me will go on in humanity. The good I have done does not have to be perfect to be effective, and that perhaps it will multiply in the lives of others, helping somehow in that amazing human endeavor Tell me if you like that I go into the arms of God. You'll be making poetry as I have done in other words and ways. Then let me go to nature as I came from nature to the great cycles of creativity that I have dimly understood. When you commit my ashes to the ground or to the stream, commit them. For then one cycle of individual life will be over and a unit of nature will be separated into its minute parts for participation in new ways as atoms rearranged in the mysterious soul-seething of the world. I have come from infinity, and I go to infinity, between which events for a little time I came to celebrate that miracle of life that I could never fully fathom. Therefore, when it is time, yield me dying, yield me dead in this tradition, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, and dust to dust, in sure and certain hope. That the dust which bloomed briefly in my loving will bloom again. The Apostle writes For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. So let us now listen to this melody by Howard Blake, who struggled as a young composer but soon became quite successful. His wife wanted to live in a big house, but he soon found that house to be too much and felt lost and depressed. He realized that he needed to simplify his life. He moved into a lone cabin in the woods on a lake. As soon as he moved into that peaceful setting, this melody of this song that we're about to hear came to him. Carol and I first heard it played in a very beautiful organ in a historic church in Lynchburg, Virginia. We are grateful that Susan knew this piece as well and has played it one time before. Please listen closely now to these words as we do pass a plate briefly, but please allow yourself to be absorbed by this beautiful, beautiful sound. And the words are in the bulletin if you'd like to look at that, walking in the air.